Hello, Rap Divers. Welcome back. We are super excited today because we have two super intelligent folks here from Granite GRC. We have Jeff Miller, who is the director in charge, and Vidal Lupian, who is the director of information technology. And they're going to talk to you about some exciting stuff today. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thank Happy you. to be here. Yeah. We're excited to have you here and, and excited to chat with you about some of the different things that are going on in healthcare, particularly around data and data security, right? I think that's yeah. kind of like where your, your area of focus is. So let's talk a little bit kind of high level about, you know, the types of financial data elements in healthcare that, that really matter here. What should our rev divers be focusing on? Yeah, sure. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, thanks again for having us on. There is a lot of data in healthcare. We all know it. We're drowning in it. We have a tremendous amount of this data. We work as hard as we can to manage this data. We've got it all lined up just like we want it. Hopefully, we get it through our systems, and then someone comes in and takes it and literally holds us hostage. In fact, I had a client uh, a month ago uh, who has a significant East Coast health system. Everything was great. They were doing minding their own business, walking down the street, and they get mugged by a hacker. Um, unfortunately, it was malware. It locked up the entire health system. And for about almost three weeks, they were literally down. If you can picture it, the inpatient down, outpatient departments down, associated physician practices down, everything associated with down. And what they had to do, because literally that no, nothing would really work because everything is electronic these days, is they had to turn away all the outpatients, so that whole business had to go to other hospitals, competitors, of course. Um, the physician practices couldn't operate because everything's up on uh, on electronic records these days, and it was all locked up. Um, they literally had patients in the inpatient hospital that they were looking to move to other places. They had cancer patients whose medication is measured and administered electronically, and none of that equipment worked. And so it's it's a really significant issue. You know, when you yeah. think of that data that they that they have at risk, it's incredible, really. Yeah, thinking about those data elements and trying to keep them protected, like what are some of those access points that lead to those vulnerabilities that hackers can actually get into, you know, breaching this information? Yeah. Yeah, but Al, you know some of the most common ones. Why don't you tell everybody? So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in the space. Uh, you know, you got... Um, some signs of of um you know what do we want to call it um uh more compact compass with some of these folks um one that comes to mind is is the children's hospital up in uh I believe it was in toronto that got hit with ransomware and and the the ransomware group when they figured out it was a children's hospital they they apologized and they released all their data um oh my gosh i, I mean you know, call it bad luck uh, or good luck, but, um, you know, that, that that was, you know, probably someone who had a kid, you know, yeah. as well, or, or a family, you know, they're bad guys, but they still have families. Um, and and that, that is one that, that just continuously stands out to me because, you know, you know, some of these folks are just targeting uh uh all these healthcare practices for a living they're just they're trying to sure. make money just like you and I are are making money um so some, some they 
<laughs> they, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's a lot of money. The average healthcare data breach in 2022 was $10.1 million. Wow. That's the that's average? Much, that's the average. Yikes. And, and those are the ones I'm assuming that were reported only. Yes, those are the right? reported so, ones. So those are the reported ones, and I'm sure that a fair amount of those are going to unreported as well. Yeah, I guess we'll never about. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So, Ken, you had asked about um, the points of entry for these guys. Um, and and, and uh, there's a lot of different points of entry, but the most common point of entry actually is just a phishing email. And so, you know, and, and unfortunately, that's really a hard you know, for us to address because it's just human nature to be curious about stuff. And people are also kind of absent-minded. I mean, not me, not me, but, you know, people are kind of absent-minded. And so they're going through their emails and it's commonly an email. And they're going through their emails. They're just seeing stuff. They're clicking on it. It doesn't look that important. We all get, you know, sadly, probably 50,000 emails a day that's from people soliciting stuff from us. And so you're clicking through it and maybe something catches your attention. So you click on it and it says, well, why don't you click here and there'll be a happy surprise and you'll get your bonus coupon or a free car and you click on it. And next thing you know, not just you, but everybody on your network has had malware installed on their systems. And so and, and, and one of the interesting parts is sometimes you don't even know it. And so it's not like, you know, on the movies where, you know, suddenly your screen turns dark and then it lights up with an evil face and it goes, ah, 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 ah. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It can sit on your system for months. You may have no idea that you are the one that caused the problem. Oh, believe me, they'll find out eventually. But um, because this stuff can all be tracked back and that's, you know, something else that's Fidel's area. But um you can yeah, sit on there for months and just collect data, just pull data, just pull information. And then before you know it, they can either lock your system up, they can pull it anywhere they want to pull it. And it's really just fascinating stuff. Yeah, the average the average time for 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 folks to find out they've been breached is about 200 days. So so these people have been in your network for six months on your computers for six months and nobody knows about it. And it might just be because they haven't done anything yet. They're still trying to figure out what do you have? What can I steal? Um, A lot of the stuff they can get to is pretty valuable. Uh, For example, a cloned MasterCard pin in 2021 uh, was worth $25. Hmm. Um, An American Express pin was $35. A cloned Visa pin was $25. Those American Express people, you know them. Uh, credit card details with an account balance of up to $1,000 was worth $150 in the black market. So so this stuff is worth money. Even that pin is worth money. Um, All this information is worth money. PayPal PayPal transfers to a stolen account of $3,000 plus, that's $180 on the black market. So so yeah, they're definitely using human nature, like like uh, Jeff said. Um, and a lot of times when we're busy, right, we're just trying to get through our day. We're just trying to do a job. If you're a high performance individual, you know how it is. You get one task done, you move on to the next and to the next, and so on. So when that pop up, when that email co- comes saying, "Hey, you need to change your password. Your password has expired. Click here to change it." You just want to get. You just want. That's the last thing you want to worry about. You click. Reset my password. 
get a pop-up, enter your current credentials, you enter your email, you enter your password, you click log in, and then you get it back again. And you're like, huh, why isn't this working? Well, because you just gave your email and password away to a hacker, right? You don't know. That's so, it, you, yeah, that's, that's so fun. It, it reminds me of a client that Vidal and I had maybe a year ago or so. It, it, it's interesting because they had been in their system for a long time and no one had any idea. And you know how they caught them? They didn't catch them coming into the system. They caught them when they were trying to send information out. Because when you go in and you do a scan of their system, we look for traffic, of course, coming in and coming in through holes and these these points, like Kevin mentioned, that are that that get open for a variety of reasons. It's not just phishing. There's a whole slew of other stuff, but um, they can often sneak in that way, and then they start exfiltrating information. And how we noticed it with this client is that this client was a a just work did their work was just in the United States. But for some reason, when we did these scans, we realized that there was a significant amount of information that was going out to two European countries. I think one of them, if I remember right, was Russia, and the other one might have been Germany. And we're like, that's weird. Why is information routinely leaving this company um, and being taken over to these two areas? And, you know, when you look into it and you ask, we have no idea. We don't know anyone in those countries. We have no idea where that information would be. Well, I think we know now. Um, and, you know, then, of course, we were able to choke that off, which is great. But no one can do anything about the fact that there was information that was already gone. Now, curious yeah. about you. You mentioned scanning. Um, what, was that a solution that was kind of implemented? Can you talk about, like, what that scanning includes? Yeah, I mean, now you're into that. Yeah, so um, there are security tools that that monitor what's going on in your network, um, who your computer is talking to, um, who your router, your, your the websites that your computer is visiting, and file transfers as well. Um, you know, let's say you never use uh, Dropbox, right? You're in a medical building facility, a, a, a therapist and optodermist, and you never use Dropbox. All of a sudden, the tool is noticing that you're using Dropbox, right? So we're going to get an alert. Hey, we've detected Dropbox. You know, who's who's transferring all this data to Dropbox and why, right? And now all of your clients, it turns out, are on Dropbox, and then somebody downloads them in the Ukraine and sells it on the black market. Um, so these tools are, are scanning for behavior that is not common. It, it takes some time to learn um, what the normal is in your office, in your network, and then it starts alerting to behavior that's not normal, that's not common. You know, it's so, interesting. Oh, go ahead, Tayo. I was just going to ask. So this, you know, this obviously you've seen this in the big hospitals and and larger facilities, um, but a lot of our rev divers are private practices, solo practices. Yeah. Sure. What can they do to to help keep themselves safe? What are kind of some some general best practices that they can deploy? So 95 percent of breaches begin in the email inbox. They They begin there. As a matter of fact, a hacked Gmail account is uh is worth um I believe about eighty dollars on the mm -hmm. black market. So ninety four percent of of hacks, phishing attacks, ransomware starts in your email. So that's the first place that you can 
add protection to? How can you protect your email, have a strong password, and use multi-factor authentication? There's a lot of great options out there. Microsoft has a free authenticator app that you can use. Um, Gmail also has a free app that you can use for, for two-factor authentication. That alone will reduce the the your vulnerability significantly. Um, a good, your password is not enough in itself. Um, give me a couple minutes on your network and I will give you a list of passwords. Right, so so it's not that difficult to break into passwords. There's a lot of uh, general consensus in the industry that passwords are obsolete. Um, it, it's it's more of a of a feel good mechanism. Um, it's like yeah, I lock my door at night, but they can always break the window and get in anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not sure exactly when our conversation transitioned into horror, but I've been very <laughs> afraid for like the last ten minutes. I mean, I mean, this is scary stuff, right? And it and it's impacting everyone right now. And to your point, yeah. silently, I mean, when you said they could be in there right now watching you, you know, for 200 days, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to end this podcast right now and go check everything I have. That That is some scary yeah. stuff. Well, uh, we have had uh, some experience with people who've had much smaller practices than, than the larger ones. We mentioned the health system. Um, the organization that uh, we talked about that was already infiltrated and was information was being sent out to, to Russia and Germany, that was about 200 or so employees, still pretty big, but not a mammoth organization. Just uh, a few months ago, um, and actually it comes up fairly routinely, a number of smaller physician practices had uh, been hacked. We had worked with a physician practice in Pennsylvania that was two doctors uh, and some nurses and uh, one or two PAs. And uh, they got ransomware. And, you know, it was a long-standing, respected practice. This wasn't anything new, but Yikes. it was small. And it's and, a verb um, now, ransomware. Yeah, yeah, they got ransomware, exactly. Didn't even know. Yes. New word. <laughs> and um, sadly, you know, they were held up for several weeks. They had to basically ditch their system. They did back information up, which is good. And they still had access to that, which often when you get uh, ransomware, they get all through your backups and everything. That was separate, which was great, but they had to stand up a brand new system. They had nice. to load that all that data back in, and it was a tremendous amount of data because they never really like cleared their system of data. They backed up, but they didn't clear it out. And so they had about 20,000 patients worth of data throughout the 40-year history of that office that had been loaded into their electronic systems over time as they went from paper onto electronic. And of course, under HIPAA, those were all breaches. So let's and let's so, talk about that, Jeff. Let's talk yep. about the $20,000, the 20,000 patients. Yeah. If those patients um, had, let's say, 10,000 records at this, at this facility that we're talking mm -hmm. about, the cost per stolen record is $164 on average. That's what it ends up costing the the practice, the the single doctor, the the, the family dental facility, the mm -hmm. the you know whatever it is, as small as they are. That's the average cost to reestablish the records. Occur. You mean? Yeah. That's that's going to be the cost of having a single record stolen on average. Yeah. $164. 
If we're talking about 10,000 records, that's $1.6 million. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. Cost, what do you tell your patients? I mean, you have to. By HIPAA, by HIPAA rules, you have to tell them. And so yeah, you have to then, yeah. part of this cost is notifying everybody. And, you know. But also, part of the cost that it that that is probably even more important is the brand. Exactly. Right? Yes. The lack your, of your trust. Brand is, your your, your credibility to your brand is is ruined. Your right. relationships with referring physicians who don't want, you know, they're like, stay away from me, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, the compromising your brand is also important, it, you know, or at least protecting your brand is important. And, you know, as we think about how, you, I, I kind of go back to the scanning process and just also thinking about 95% of these breaches occurring in email. Yes. And the fact that we're all in email all day, every day, right? right? Yep. So, and and we have individuals who we are, you know, are are trusting and who are, were, you know, maybe working remote. They're also yep. in their email all day, right? right? So, you know, having those protections in place and the training in place so that um, they can identify uh, a potential phishing email. You know, do sure. do you guys have any, you know, thoughts about how to identify a phishing email and what to do if you do identify one? Yeah, so training uh, of, of your users is very important. Um, you, you don't hire a, a, a dental hygienist uh, without them going to a school and being trained and doing that, right? You don't just pick them off the street and throw them in there and, and do some work, right? At least I hope that's not what what I mean, happens. I hope they don't, yeah. but you know, yeah, right. we don't know their hiring practices. Maybe they do. I had People this experience already. once. No, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make people even more scared of their dentists now, aren't you? Um, so, so you also, in the same manner, you also need to train your users on how to use technology properly. Unfortunately, with emails, we got to slow down. There, there are uh, uh, sort uh, uh, tools out there that can help slow down the the our users when they are dealing with emails. Um, we use at Granite GRC and some of our clients use a a uh, a tool from Egress called. Um, Beep. Can't that, tell you the name. <laughs> that <laughs> free advertisement. Right. We'll we'll send them the bill though. We'll send them the bill. Yeah, um, so what they do is they add banners to our email. If it's an external email, we have a little blue banner that says this is an external email. Um, if it's uh, if it's detecting red flags that are common in a phishing scam email, it's going to tell me this is a dangerous email. Uh, this is a suspicious email. So that's going to help me slow down. I can then click on that banner and it's going to give me more information. If it's obvious that it's a false positive, I can report it. If it is, if it is indeed a phishing email, I can say, yep, you're right. I'll click the button and say it's a phishing email. So those are all great tools um, all to, to help us train our users on, you know, nobody sends you an email and says, dear madam, dear sir, uh -huh. dear colleague, dear comrade. That's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that would be a big red flag right there. <laughs> your, your password has expired. <laughs> so yes. do you ever see the industry moving away from email? And 
And I'm wondering when you have things like Teams, right, where they can, from Teams, you can jump into all of your internal apps and you have your internal SharePoints and you can chat in there. Do you ever see um, a point in time where people are going to be moving away from email just because of that danger? Well, that's a whole other can of worms because yeah. there are scams on Teams and Slack as well. Okay, well, now I just quit. I'm not yeah. using technology anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's yeah, time I'm not to sure go you're actually bunker. much safer using that. It's, it's time to go into the bunker. Oh, it's more God. about, you know, just because there's people out there stealing cars doesn't mean we're, we're not going to buy a car. You know, it means we're, we're going to know how to, you know, lock your doors, roll up your windows, hide all your valuables right from plain sight. You don't want to go park in, in a, you know, shady neighborhood where it's anywhere, actually. You don't want to park anywhere. Yeah. And leave your your iPhone sitting on the dashboard and your your laptop and uh, a couple hundred dollar bills. You know you're just asking for trouble. Right. In the same way, you don't want to have your data sitting unencrypted. Um, you don't want to rely only on passwords. Uh, you're just asking for trouble. Right. Well, that's part of the secret, though, isn't it, Vidal? For like your average practice. I mean, no one's saying they're going to go after you know the. Miller and Lupian dental practice because we're so well known. I mean, that's yeah. not going to happen. What they yeah. do is they go from door to door and, and medical is a big area because of the, the information is so valuable and it's so sensitive. And they look for the people who left the, the window open or yeah. the door unlocked. I mean, it's yep. like the, you know, the guys that walk house to house in neighborhoods and check people's cars and try to open the door. You literally need to. It, it's, it sounds terrible. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the story about, you know, I don't have to uh, run faster than the bear. I only have to run faster than you. <laughs> I, I mean, just what you were going to It's kind of like that way in cybersecurity. You, just, yeah, you just need think to be about able to make it. it harder to get into you than the next person. Just and think they're going to take it. the easy path. The, these people is... don't have a real job for a reason. Right? Because yeah. they're lazy. Yeah. They're not going to, if your neighbor's door is has 10 locks and yours is wide open, well, guess what? They're going to break into your house. Yeah. It's a lot get easier. Low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I guess, oh, just thinking about that, Vidal, that's actually a really good point. Um, we don't want to be the low-hanging fruit, and we don't want our organizations to be the low-hanging fruit. So what we need to do is take all of the great advice that you two have shared with us today um, and employ that in our organizations to keep us safe. Guys, this has been an incredible conversation, um, so knowledgeable, uh, and we really appreciate you know the expertise and, and the time that you've shared with us and our Rev Divers, Jeff and Vidal. Um, guys, thank you so much again. Um, and Rev Divers, thank you so much for joining us today. And until we see each other, keep diving into to those rep cycles.